to reach into our hearts and totally transform our thinking, our experience, our present, our past and our future. Lord, let us absorb your word today in our spirits. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, have a look at your pound coin. I've got two here. Paul, come, come forward here. Just look at my two pound coins. I'm, I'm not about to do some kind of magic trick here, by the way. I just want you to know. Paul, do those two pound coins look like pound coins to you? Yes. Okay, look more or less the same? Yeah. Okay, please sit down then. Now, these two pound coins are slightly different. And the reason is this. Have you ever gone to the parking machine to pay for your car and you put the coin in the machine? You've got to pay, say, three pounds about five minutes in Newcastle these days, isn't it? So you put your pound coin in and it goes in, and the little thing says more. You put your next one in, and it says more. You put your third one in, it just drops through. Why is that? Yeah, yeah, right. Three in every hundred pound coins are fake. And I've got a fake one here. I got it from my wife. <laughs> she gave me that with my pocket money this week. You know. Now, here's some things about the fake ones. If you want to spot a phony, have a look at the pound coin now. And the first thing to spot with a phony is to look at the image on the front and on the back. Because on a real genuine pound coin, the two images line up perfectly the top of the image and the top of the queen's head line up exactly. But on a fake one like this one, it's off-center. There's something that doesn't line up uh, quite right front to back. Another thing about it is the edge detail. You, this good coin here says um, something around the edge, if I could read it in this line, decus et tutamen, as a, as a decoration and a protection against fraud. Didn't know I could read Latin, did you? I looked it up earlier. Um, this coin, on the other hand, has not got any writing on it. It's got a funny little design that doesn't go very deep. You see, the edge, the edge of the coin has this special inscription on it uh, against fraud. But the dodgy coin, the fake coin, there's, only a, the, there's not the right inscription. It doesn't go deep enough. And you'll often notice the color is wrong as well. The color of the fake pound coin isn't quite right. And actually, it doesn't age as gracefully as the real ones. It stays artificially shiny over a period of time. And finally, it's underweight. You put it in the machine, it doesn't trigger the payment mechanism properly. Now, here's a problem with this coin. You see, this fake coin may be 90% or 80% the weight of the, of the real coin. But when it comes to value, this real one I've got here in my left hand is worth a full British pound, whatever that's worth these days. And this one is worth absolutely nothing. In fact, I could probably be had up as some kind of counterfeiter or fraudster. If I, if I, pass, this, if I put, pass this on to anybody, I'm probably, uh, probably going to get in trouble with the police or something like that. So the value of this one is less than zero. It will actually get me into trouble. Now, did you know the same thing is true for the gospel? Did you know there is more than one gospel? And some of them, like all the other fake ones or incomplete ones, are underweight. And they don't go deep enough. And they don't line up with the word of God and the things God says. Let me give you some examples in Scripture. 
There's a passage I want to read from Galatians 1. I don't know if it will come on the screen. Paul says this to them, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Can you see that on the screen there? There is something in the scripture called a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Now, I don't know many times in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul repeats himself so fully and so completely, but he does over the issue of the gospel. Am I trying to win the, uh, uh, now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. There are different gospels out there. And like those pound coins, if they're not the true item, they are underweight and they're less than worthless. Let's look at another part of Scripture where this is again mentioned, 2 Corinthians 11. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. You notice there it is possible to have a different Jesus presented to you with a different gospel and by means of a different spirit. And curiously enough, Paul says, you, you bear with it easily enough. It's easier to pick up the fake than it is the real thing. Inevitably, the untrue different gospel offers us an easier way to heaven, supposedly, an easier time in life, supposedly, an easier passage through the things of this life, except it's not true. And Paul says, it's more appealing. It's it's easier to take that one on board. You'll, You'll take it on board. But we do not want to have pockets filled with fake pound coins. Because when it comes to the test and you need to pay for something and put your money in the meter, then you're in that awful position of being in the car park without enough money and the man is already coming around with the ticket machine and you're trying to make some kind of excuse to him as to why he shouldn't put a ticket on your car. Well, there is only one true gospel in the Scripture. And Jesus speaks about the true gospel that he brings, the true good news message. He says this in Matthew 24. He says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. You notice Jesus says it like this, This gospel, not any other gospel, and the gospel he's talking about is this gospel of the kingdom. Now, let me tell you the difference between a kingdom gospel and some of these other gospels that are actually right out there in Great Britain today as I'm speaking to you this morning. The kingdom gospel reaches every part of our lives. Now, what people like to do is compartmentalize their life. They like to 
chop their lives up into different bits. This is my church bit. This is my work bit. This is my family bit. This is my leisure bit. And in the church bit, I will receive the word of God and the gospel into my life. But in my leisure part, or in my work part, well, I just get on with those as I see fit. That is not a kingdom gospel. And if that's the gospel you receive, can I respectfully say to you this morning, it's a fake. It won't stand the test of time. You see, the kingdom is about every part of our lives. So if you think the pastor has authority to say to you, please don't let your children run around in the meeting, but you think the pastor doesn't have authority to you to say, stop stealing from your boss at work, you're not believing the kingdom gospel. Because the kingdom gospel speaks to us at work as well as it does in the church. The kingdom gospel speaks to us at home. Uh, and it's, if, if you think the, the, the church leaders don't have the authority to say to you, how are you handling your kids right now? Are you being too harsh with them? Are you being too soft with them? Are you being too um, out of sorts with one another in the marriage? If the gospel can't speak into your marriage, it's not the kingdom gospel. You've believed another gospel. If your life is chopped into other parts, little different parts, and the gospel can only reach one of them, that's not the gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus says it's this gospel that shall be preached in the whole earth, not some other one. And the apostle Paul likewise makes a difference. He says in Romans 16, 25, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, Paul has something he calls my gospel. Do you notice that? He has been entrusted with it. We saw it in the verse in Galatians. God revealed the gospel to him supernaturally through a revelation of Jesus Christ. As he was there on the Damascus road, Christ encountered him. And in that moment, he began to receive his revelation of the gospel. And God unfolded that over the coming years. And he says, this is my gospel. Now, other people have got their gospels out there, but the gospel I preach, he says, has got these features about it. Christ is at the center of it. And it's a revelation. And God wants to establish you in the gospel. And God's revealing his will to you right now. This is all part of Paul's gospel. So it's important for us to be able to pick out the true from the underweight. Now, where does the true gospel come from? The true coinage comes from the royal mint. The true gospel comes from the word of God, the king's word. Where does the fake gospel come from? Or where does the fake coin from? The fake coin comes from people. And the fake gospel or the underweight gospel or the partial gospel or the compartmentalized gospel comes from people. So two questions come to us out of this. Oh, by the way, you notice Paul says, not only does it come from people, but it also has a different spirit behind it. There is a different spirit that goes with the underweight gospel. Now, two questions then for us to look at this morning. What is this gospel that Jesus talks about? And then I suppose by way of a conclusion, really, which gospel have I believed? So let's look at what the gospel is. Now, we'll need our camera on the board here in a moment. Do you, can you get that there, Dave? Is that, oh, great, good. Now, do you remember a few weeks ago, I started to speak on this topic, and in speaking, I gave us some labels. I talked about recounting 
of the true gospel story. Remember, the gospel story is a story. It's not a sheet, a sheaf of paper with just lots of boring information on it. It's the story of God and people. It's the story of the history of how God has been reaching into the world to get a hold of our lives today. And my story becomes part of this story. So we recount a story, and then we have to make the right response to it. Whoops. There is a response, and it has to be the right recounting of the story, the right response, in order to see the right results. Now, I want to look some more at this first part here, the recounting. Because over the last three weeks, we have started to look at what is in the story. And here's how the story goes. This pen shows well. The con- there is a gospel content. And it consists, for a summary for us today, of three main parts. The first one is redemption. And you heard Steve speaking about that two weeks ago. I take it we would all agree that at the heart of the gospel story is this. God has sent his son into the world to die on a cross to forgive sins and give us a new life. To buy us out of the slavery to our old life and all those things that gripped us. And then we're not just left in a place of redemption. We're not left then to struggle on with the old life. And we're not left with the old life itself. We are then renewed. And you will have heard Alison talk about that last week. And then the third R comes on here, which is what we're going to look at today. We are restored. And that is a simple summary, which I hope you can fix in your heads right now. So if anybody says to you, well, what's the gospel content? You could say it's three things, redeemed, renewed, restored. Can you say those with me right now? Redeemed, renewed, restored. And we've been saying that a gospel that doesn't have all those three features in is an underweight gospel. It's not just about getting your sins forgiven. It's about changing our lifestyles so that we don't get into those sins again. It's about being made new inside so our motivation and our heart and our experience is different, that we want to do different things. It is about being made a new person as well as being redeemed. And then today, we want to look at restoration. Now, let me just see if I can draw this for you and represent it for you on the board. What does it mean for God to restore us? Have you got that fixed in your heads now? Good, because we're going to ask questions later, so we'll just check. Now, God wants to restore our lives. Have you ever seen on the news one of these items where they show you like an old painting has got damaged in like a leaking roof or there was a fire and the water from the hose damaged the painting and they show you this painting on the TV and you can see that the fabric's been damaged, the paint has been damaged and so on. What are we going to do? 
where there are people whose job it is in life to restore things like that. And the idea is to get that painting back to the original as near as makes no difference. Is that right? That's one aspect of being restored. Another one is like this. In one of the, 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 the home groups or cells we used to have in Oxford, there were a couple of young guys, and they both joined the police force. And you know how it is when guys join the police force. They're keen. So one of them, he's been about six or eight weeks out of his basic training, and he's all pumped up to save the world. One day, he's going into the city centre, and he's with his wife, and they're going shopping. He's in plain clothes, but being a good policeman, he keeps his warrant card in his pocket, just in case. Well, the in case happened to him. As he's walking to the shops, there's suddenly a scream, and he sees this guy has run towards this woman and knocked into her and just ripped the handbag off her shoulder, and he's running away down the street right towards this guy in my cell who's a newly qualified policeman. You remember that phrase from the film, make my day? Well, this made his day. This guy thinks he's got away with it. I mean, he's young, he's tough, he's strong, he's a fast runner, and he's running down the street towards this policeman off duty. Within a few seconds, the guy is flat on his face, on the ground, with his arms behind his back, the warrant card being waved under his nose, and he's reading him his rights. He ties this guy up somehow or other, sits on him, and they're only a few hundred metres from the local police station. So he calls out the local cops and they come, because he's working at a different station, but he calls them out. They come, arrest this guy. And the end of it all was this. He picks the handbag up and the woman who's standing there, just a few metres away, takes it back to her and he restores her handbag to her. Everything that was stolen, everything that she lost, all her credit cards and money and keys. You know you know what hassle it is to lose stuff like that, don't you? I mean, it takes ages to sort it all out with the bank and the credit card companies and the keys and how can you get in your house to get another key? It's all very complicated. He gave it all back to her. That's restoration. And our gospel is a gospel not only of redemption, not only of renewal, but of restoration. Now, let me see if I can represent this for you here on the board. Imagine here is God in eternity. I'll Put a cloud around him like that. He's not really a cloud. He has a form, the Bible says. But here is God in eternity. And this line represents what God is doing also in eternity. So let's put this up here like this. God is moving forward in eternity like this. And because he's God, he has purposes and a plan. Now, as part of that purpose and plan, God decided to make you. He decided that in eternity, even with angels, that wasn't enough. And so here, he creates the world. He creates the universe. And he puts man on the earth like this. There's you and me. Nice halo like that. Be holy. And that was the plan. God was going somewhere in eternity and he wants to take you with him. He was going to do something in eternity and he wants you to join in with him. He was going to make something happen that you were going to be a part of. And then something happened because an enemy came in. 
And through sin, we have something the Bible calls the fall. And instead of this process happening now, mankind, without his halo, is down here. Now, in order to remedy the situation, God sends Jesus into the world. to die on behalf of every man and woman who will receive him. That through his blood and through the cross, we are redeemed. And then he renews us. Now, as long as we're stuck at redeemed and renewed, we're still down here. And a lot of people think the idea is now that we go forward from here like this, So God's doing what God's going to do, and we're going to do what we're going to do down here, and that's it now. But you see, that's only part of the picture. Because if we leave it like this, God's plan, which included us, is no longer God's plan. This purpose and plan in eternity demanded and still demands that we do this. And this is where restore comes in. God lifts us back onto the original track so that we can end up in his eternal purposes in spite of all that's happened. Now, how many people want to be restored today? How many people want the masterpiece to be repainted the way it always should have been? How many people want their purse or their wallet given back to them with all those things that were stolen and taken away? That's the point of restoration. And underweight gospels don't tell you about restoration. They say, well, you just stay down here doing your part and God will be up there in heaven doing his part and if there's any connection between the two at the end, that's a bonus. That is not the gospel. That's a fake pound coin. This gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, has restoration at its heart. Now let's turn to the scripture and find out what that looks like for a few minutes. Perhaps the most famous Bible verse of all. God so loved the world. Here it is. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have, look, what kind of life? Everlasting, eternal life. Up here, not down here. Eternal life. Look at some more verses. When mankind was first put on the earth, this is what God said over us. You'll know this so well, but let's read it again. Let us make man in our own image. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. According to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, those words were spoken to the first couple but they were spoken to them 
on behalf of every human being that was to be born after them. They can't do all of that on their own. They are the beginning of a line of people who will work with God on his eternal plan and purpose. And the eternal plan and purpose of God was for them to represent him on the earth so that all the rest of the creation that was on this earth would not have to look to heaven to see God. They'd just have to look in any semi-detached house in Fenham or in Biker or Walker. And they would look in there and say, wow, look how they live. Look how they are. That's how God is. That's as far as you need look. That was the purpose that you and I on this earth would be God's ambassadors, God's representatives, that we would be a representation to the whole of creation and to one another of who God is and what he's like. That was the purpose. Now, how do we do that? Here's how we do it. We do it by these five things. We do it by being fruitful and multiplying and filling and subduing and ruling. Those five things are what we do to fulfill that eternal plan of God. So every time we do that, we are living in restoration. And every time we don't do it, we're failing to live in restoration. We are seeking to do those things if we are truly being restored. Now take a, think, take a look about your own life at the moment. There's a progression here. We're fruitful. That means we give birth to something. And then we multiply. We give birth to more of the same thing. And then we fill. See, what you're fruitful in, you multiply. And what you multiply starts to fill. And what you fill allows you to subdue. And what you subdue, you eventually get to rule over. Now, we could liken our thought life to that. See, when we have fruitful thoughts in our lives and we multiply those fruitful thoughts and we let those thoughts fill our minds, they then subdue all the negative influences in our minds and then we end up ruling our minds. Can you see how that process works just at that level? So whatever is filling our lives is really important. And whatever we have multiplying on our lives eventually will go on to affect the rest of our lives. So if it's horror movies that you're into and they're multiplying in your life, guess what's going to fill your life? And guess what's going to subdue you? And guess what's going to rule over you? If it's sin that's filling our lives, what's going to multiply inside of us? What's going to subdue us and rule over us? But if it's the gospel of God, and the word of God and the goodness of God that's filling our lives because it's multiplying inside of us, that's what's going to be born in our lives and give us dominion and victory over everything else in our lives. The aim is to have dominion, the old Bible say, or rule over. The aim is to be on top of your life, not for things to be on top of you. The aim is is to rule now in life. And it's not ruling and being on top in the face of good circumstances. It's to be on top when everything is against you. That's real ruling. That's real subduing. That's really being on top. Now, that original goal for people to be fruitful and to multiply is kind of reworked and restated in the kingdom because When Jesus comes to earth on the cross, 
Everything now gets channeled through the cross. So the original purpose is still the same, but it's even it's heightened, it's turbocharged in Christ. It has an extra dimension to it because of Jesus. So the, the call to fill the earth is not just with lots of children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews and have a big family, so there's lots more foremans running around everywhere, good as that would be. The aim is now, on a spiritual level as well, to have spiritual children, spiritual sons and daughters in Christ for God. Now, there is going to be a restoration. Look at what the Scripture says, Matthew 17.10. This is what the disciples and Jesus talk about. The disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. There is a restoration that Jesus expects. And even as John the Baptist came and started to restore things in Israel, Jesus says, that's the pattern. When I come, restoration comes with me. Do you want to be restored? Now, look at what he says straight afterwards. Actually, in the face of this restoration, I'm going to suffer and die. This is not a bigger car and an easier life. This is overcoming in life in the face of all kinds of opposition. I say this to you today. It's not getting any easier for Christians in this nation. In fact, it's getting a good deal harder. If you read the newspapers, you will know that. And if you've got into trouble at work for sharing your faith, you will doubly know that. And some of us in this church have done that in the past and got into trouble for it. There is a clamping down on the true gospel because it changes everything. And the people of this world do not want things changed the way the gospel wants to change them. But God is in the business of change. Change for the better. Change for eternal purposes. Amen? And when you bring change along, there's a kind of gospel change, you will encounter opposition and trouble, just as Jesus did. But in spite of going to the cross, he said, the beginning of the restoration of all things is here. Now, in Acts 3.19, the apostles understood this. They said this, Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be, may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed to you, whom heaven must receive until the period of the restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. All through the Bible, God has been saying, I am moving towards a time of total restoration of everything. It's this point here. Right here. We're somewhere on this line right now. But when Jesus comes back again, we will be on this top line here. Amen? Who wants to be there? I want to be. I'm looking forward to that day. Whether I get to it because Jesus comes back before I die and he just takes me up, as the Bible says, or I have to sort of go through physical death uh, and wait to be resurrected, however it works, that's going to be a great day. Because then we move forward into eternity. That's what we're believing all of this for. We're believing all of this for this full restoration. Now, if you don't believe me, just take a look at your body for a minute. Is there anything about your body you would like to change? I mean, slightly bigger eyes, a bit smaller nose. A few, few, yeah, those guys will be on a Wednesday afternoon. The aches and pains come through these days, don't they? There's a few joints that you'd really want to change. I mean, there are some people who are up for restoration straight away here. The longer you go on in life, the more you want to. 
I had a very worried school pupil came to me once. She was in my, one of my religious education classes. She said, so when we go to heaven, which body do we get? What do you mean, which body? Do we, well, do we get this one or do we get a new one? Is, does this one look like the old one? Does the, does the new one look like the old one? This one? I said, why, why, why are you worried? She said, when I'm 18, I want to get my nose done because it's too big. So when I go to heaven, will I get the old nose or the new nose? Because I'm not spending all that money to get the nose done now if I don't get it in heaven. I said, you better find yourself a Christian surgeon who will give you an eternal guarantee for the money then and hope his word lasts. But she kind of got it right. She understood something there. There will be a restoration of all things. And the things that trouble you now, challenges in your life, Challenges in your character, challenges in your circumstance, challenges inside, challenges outside, challenges in your health. Do you know what? At that period of restoration, all of those are going to be removed. You will have struggled with them for long enough. And God says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've broken through. You've put up with hassle and ill health and the opposition of the enemy and difficulty on account of my name. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You've got there. Restoration has fully taken place. Listen, you don't have to wait to the future to start restoration. It starts now. It's all there on that line. You are somewhere on that line now if you believe this true and full weight gospel. Hallelujah. Now, what God wants in this restoration is the parallel of what Adam and Eve were about, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it. Hebrews 2.10 sums up really nicely what God wants to bring about the earth. It's this. It says, For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory. Now look around you today. You are looking at the eternal purpose of God. Every person who knows Christ here today is being transformed day by day to be one of those sons or daughters for glory. You are going there. And God wants you. God wants you and his family. Now, take a look around. There are some empty seats. God wants many sons for glory, not just a few. And our purpose now in Christ is to fill those seats with more sons for glory. It's to be fruitful, to multiply and to fill in spiritual terms. Now, going back to the first couple, when they received that word, they received it on behalf of the whole human race. So who do you think has to go out and be fruitful and multiply? Well, it's all of us. I mean, some days you cannot get in the foyer for the amount of pushchairs and prams that are now being parked out there. You are restoring very nicely, some of you. Thank you very much. Some of you are like me. You have the grandparents' jobs, so you have to look after two generations. Keep them going. Every one of us expects either to have a pushchair or be pushing one. And where there's a difficulty, because some couples do struggle with having children, we pray for that. We don't say, well, that's, that's good. But they want to have children, so we pray for them. And we, we get behind. We see God break through time after time and give that blessing of children and fruitfulness into people's lives. Now, if that's true for us all in the natural, what about in the spiritual? Is it just that a few of us have spiritual children and the rest don't? Apparently, only 2% of people ever tell their story of how they became a Christian to people that are not Christians. 98% of people shut up and never say it. 
So only 2% are even thinking of becoming fruitful according to the statistics. Now, I think you would agree, if only 2% of couples ever had children, we would not need so many schools, and the human race would die out pretty quickly. I wonder if there's a message there for the church. This is what Jesus says in restating this. You'll know these words so well in Matthew 28. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Do you see the restoration there? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and be fruitful and multiply and fill and subdue and rule over. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations spiritual children, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And Mark, it puts it like this, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That doesn't leave too many people out, does it? He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Jesus is really clear. He's restating to the disciples just like the call of God was on Adam and Eve. Now, we know the call of God on Adam and Eve stretches to us all. What about the thing Jesus said to the first disciples? Surely that's the same. It stretches to us all. We are called to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth spiritually as well now as physically. please would you just repeat this after me? I am restored in Christ through the true gospel. I am restored in Christ through the true gospel. Let's say it again together. I am restored in Christ through the true gospel. Now, if you believe that, you will believe that you can do these five things. Multiply, fill, sorry, Fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, and rule. If you believe in the true gospel, and you believe Jesus is speaking to you through the Great Commission, and you believe this is a full-weight gospel I'm speaking to you today, you will believe in restoration. And you will believe that you can do these things. I can be fruitful in the Lord. I can speak life into another person. I can see someone else changed through the power of God. I can speak faith into them. I can lead them to Christ. I can help them when they do come through in Christ. I can do those things because I'm on this line here. I'm heading for here. I'm not on this line here, which is what the underweight gospel would have us believe. This true gospel is a gospel of restoration. And why wouldn't anyone want to believe that? What, what better message than you ha- can you have than your handbag is given back to you with all your valuables in it? That the masterpiece that was spoiled by water and by rain or by age has been all beautifully reworked to be made just as good at the original. Can you get a better message than that? Why would we sell ourselves short? Let me finish by saying this. What does a restored me look like? Think about your nose for a moment and the kind of physique you want, you know, better six-pack in heaven or something like that, Adam. Okay, what does a restored me look like? I'm going to read it out to you. This 
felt the Lord lay this prophecy on my heart, and I looked it up in Isaiah. This is a promise from God of what a restored me looks like. Isaiah 58, 11 to 12. <clears throat> and the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places. Notice this is a restoration in the face of unideal circumstances. And give strength to your bones. You will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called the repairer of the breach or the break, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. Do you notice this? A restored you, let's have that scripture back up, please. A restored you has continual connection with God. A restored you has strength inside when there's weakness all around you. A restored you has a fountain, a source of life that never dries up. Isn't that similar to what Jesus says in John 7 about the coming of the Holy Spirit? A restored you doesn't just sit there and wait for the lift to get to the top so that we can be in eternity with God. A restored you is someone who rebuilds the lives of others. A restored you is someone who passes that on. A restored you brings repair and help into the lives of others. A restored you restores others. How about that? Not only is your painting restored, but you learn how to restore somebody else's painting. Not only is your handbag or purse or wallet given back to you, but you go get somebody else's handbag or wallet or purse for them. You end up not only restored, but being a restorer. Does anyone today want to be restored and a restorer? Well, about six of you do. That's really good. Hallelujah. We'll have lovely fellowship afterwards. A restored me is able to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill, to subdue, and to rule in my own life, in this world, and to help others in their lives through Christ. A fully restored me is possible through receiving and responding properly to the gospel that is full and full weight and true. A properly restored me is able to properly restore others. Now, we want to preach and know and respond to and live for this gospel. Because there's more things coming on the board here in the next few weeks. There is not only a gospel content, but there is more to come with the gospel, and you'll find out next week and in the weeks to come. But that's what a restored us looks like, and that's why we have been really moved by what you know as the G12 vision. We have been moved because in that vision is redemption and renewal and restoration. 
And in that vision is the call for all of us, not to live on that bottom line, but to be restored and to restore the lives of others. Now, one pastor told me this would never work. He was a godly, sincere man. And he said this. He said, Clive, Steve, come and help me. He said, you as the pastor, you will be able to take hold of, give me your hand, Steve. You'll be able to take hold of people and walk with them with Christ like this. It's good. He said, but what I can't ever see you doing is if this man gets a hold of somebody else's hand and does this. He said, I can't see that working. He said, people want to relate to me as the pastor, but they don't want to do this. They don't want to be restorers. They, they might want to be restored and renewed, but they don't want to do the restoration work themselves in the lives of others. Now, I put my credibility on the line with him and said, well, I believe it can work. I believe this gospel and this vision can work. And he said, I don't say it can. It won't work. So we have to be nice to each other. And I, and I, I, I think he's a great man of God. I really respect and love him. But um, we have to agree to differ. I believe this can work. And I've staked my all on this. I could have had an easier gospel and an easier reputation and an easier ministry if I'd have just said, well, Steve, let go of Ben. That's all right. You, you just find a pastor for you of your own over there, okay? And as long as there's enough pastors in the world, everybody will get saved. But you see, you're the restorer. And you're the repairer of the breach. And he's the man you're going to restore. And it doesn't just stop with him, does it, Ben? <laughs> he's repenting. Come on, come on, Jerry, come and join on. Now, can we build a church like this? Because if we do, it's got to work like this. I've got to be able to work with him in his life. And he's got to be able to work with him in his life. And he's got to be able to work with him in his life. And we're not trying to build some kind of pyramid or hierarchy here. We're trying to build a family, a network, a, a body of people Oh, look, we got more. Hey, we're multiplying well here. I'm enjoying. This is how it should work. Listen, if, if, he lets, if Ben lets go in the chain, then we, we, we're stopped. And that's what happens in church, generation after generation. It's your responsibility to understand that as a restored one, you grab hold with both hands. You grab hold of your leaders and you grab hold of others. And that's the G12 vision. And that's why we get such a lot of stick about it because everybody says this is what church is all about. Well, I don't believe that. I don't believe that's the gospel. I believe in this full weight gospel that gets us back up on that line with eternity here. And this gospel looks like this to me. And we call it the G12 vision. It is just an expression of the fullness of the gospel. And it means you get to be the pastor too. Amen. And if you believe this gospel, and if you're being restored, you also can be fruitful and multiply and fill and subdue and rule. And I believe that for every person in here. I don't care how big your struggle is today. I don't care how long you've been trying to do this thing. I don't care how difficult you found this. Well, I do care how difficult you found this because I want you to find it easier. But I tell you this. You can do this if you know and you see, and you understand, and you accept, and you believe, and you commit to this gospel that is redemption and renewal and restoration. Now, there's more to help you with this, and we'll find out that next week. You're not on your own. That's next week's sermon. I'll leave it there for today. Thank you for my helpful guys there. So here's my closing challenge for us today. That'll do. Stand up. Come on, you've robbed me of my conclusion today. Say it again. Louder. Tell them all. 
There you go. You've just said a new preacher this morning, right? Stand up. We can do it. That'll do for a conclusion. Thank you, Colin. Excellent. Please raise your hands in the air, close your eyes and say after me, I can do this. I can do this. Amen. Amen. Sit back down again. That's the conclusion. Now, let's just pray for you. So close our eyes. Father, we thank you today that this is a full weight gospel. Your word has this great gospel. It is a gospel of hope for humanity. It is a gospel of hope for the world. And it's a gospel of hope for us here today as well. This gospel is full of redemption. It's full of renewal. It's full of change. And it's full of restoration. It's full of putting our lives back in order, making straight what was crooked, making right what was wrong, making good what was bad, making true what was false, making whole what was unwholesome and damaged. Lord, today, you want to restore us and make us whole and new and put back together as you'd originally purposed. Father, I pray for every person here today for the restoring power of the gospel of Jesus to be real in our lives like it's never been before. Restore us today, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Let's give the Lord a clap offering to finish with.